Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right. Good morning. This morning we continue our series, as David and Amy mentioned, through the book of Revelation. How many of you are tracking along with us through the daily? So good. There's a great resource. It's a a discipleship resource that we have. We're serious about our formation in Christ. You can sign up for it on our website. It's an email that comes to you Monday through Friday, and wonderful men and women from our body uh, contribute. Uh, We're reading a section of Revelation each day, and then we're coming here on a Sunday morning uh, to hear a portion of that expounded upon. So please take advantage of that and join us in that. Uh, It allows us to stay connected here as a body. We crazy. So we're in Revelation chapter 45. Uh, we're just going to walk through these two chapters here together. Um, so you can open up your Bibles with me. And I just want to begin. Jed read a good portion of it earlier, and we're going read it, to read it again here. And, uh, and then we're going to dive in together. Sound good? All right. Revelation chapter 4. It'll be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along. And I just encourage you, have your Bibles open on your phone or in print or whatever as we walk through this, because we're going to kind of be bouncing around these two chapters together. Verse 1 of chapter 4, After this, I looked, and standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes and around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated in the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it? And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking in these next few minutes that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the vision, the event that has been going on, is going on, and will go on for eternity. And I pray for each person in this room, each couple, each group of friends. Lord, you know that you have brought each of us here this morning for a purpose to hear from you. Lord, some of us have been walking with you for years, and some of us have, are just on the journey and haven't even yet identified you as Lord. And I pray you would meet each of us here, and you would convict us, and you would... But Lord, that you encounter us through the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of this word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have two coins here. One is made of pure chocolate, and one is made of pure gold. $1,686. My uncle let me borrow this. <laughs> I have to be very careful with it. <laughs> if I set these two coins before a young child, and I said, child, this one is made of chocolate, <laughs> and this one is made of gold. Child, <laughs> which one do you want? <laughs> it is likely, 
unless the child is very, very smart, well beyond their years, that the child would choose the chocolate coin every time. And the child would do this not knowing the true value of the gold coin. And that actually latent in the gold coin, pregnant in the gold coin, as it were, are 7,000 chocolate coins. <laughs> or worse, the child might do this knowing the higher value of the gold coin, but settling for the immediate lesser value of the chocolate coin to satisfy his or her appetite or sweet tooth. Now, what would a child be doing when the child chooses the chocolate coin over the gold coin? The child is determining even in their little, you know, three- or four-year-old mind, which coin has the most worth? Or which coin, another way to say it, is the most worthy? And, and the child is saying, in a way, I deem this chocolate coin worthy, and in this I will give the chocolate coin most affection by choosing it. I'm saying that it has more worth than the gold coin. The chocolate coin for the child might be the more worthy, the most worthy of the two coins. Now, three times in these two chapters, as I read it, you may have noticed, John pens this word worthy, which in Greek is the word axios, uh, which is this idea of ascribing worth to an object or a person or a thing that we deem the most worthy. Uh, we see this in, in chapter 4, verse 11, worthy are you, Lord God. Uh, we see this in chapter 5, verse 9, worthy are you to take the scroll. We see it again down in verse 12 of chapter 5, worthy. Now, why do you think that this word worthy shows up with such prominence in these two chapters? Because the church at this moment in history was incredibly vulnerable to ascribing highest worth to the chocolate coin, as it were. Remember, it's the end of the first century. The first century is drawing to a close. Jesus ascended to heaven 60 human years before, and John is old. There's persecution that's starting to grow more intense. Many apostles and leaders have been martyred, first under Nero and now under Domitian. The emperor who, who was emperor of Rome from 81 to 96 AD, uh, he was probably likely uh, there in power during John's exile. In fact, historically, it's actually said that he demanded that the people uh, of the empire of Rome uh, called him, labeled him Lord and God. And there is this real temptation in this moment for the church to deem the preservation of their lives as the highest worth, their comfort, their health, their wealth, as the most worthy thing. And all they have to do is proclamation as Lord and God and deny Jesus Christ as Lord. And the temptation is to think that the Roman Empire has the things they long for, things like glory and power and authority. In addition, there's Gnosticism and heresies that are rising up in the church. Some of the church is falling back into legalism, something we see today in the church. They're, they're forgetting the grace of the gospel, and they're saying we have to do things in order to earn God's favor. And other parts of the church are falling into license. They're just living however they want. We see that in the church today, too. 
People just abandoning the truth of the word. And we know this from Revelation 3, from the first couple of chapters as, as we've been studying. And there's this chocolate coin dangling out there for the church. And, and I would argue that this morning, you and I, we are no different. One of our greatest vulnerabilities is to go through our days assigning worth, giving our utmost, spending our greatest resources on the temporal and lesser sweetness of chocolate coins than thinking that the sweetness of the ch- and thinking that the sweetness of the chocolate coin is all there is when there is a richer, lasting morsel, more fully orbed, satisfying taste with beauty and weight and power of a gold coin that is already ours. worth to the one who is utterly worthy. And how will we deem worthy the one who is imbued with the highest value? And the answer, my contention this morning is the answer to that question is actually in Revelation 4 and 5. And I love that the title of our series, A Final Unveiling, it's the closing scene of God's masterpiece. In chapter 4, verse 1, John gets this vision. He's talking of things that are to come. History is about to unfold. We're going to see this in chapters 6 through 19 of Revelation. There's going to be visions. It's about to get real, okay? If you've ever read Revelation, there's going to be vivid imagery with symbols and a can of different vantage points, troubles, judgments, justice, creatures, four horsemen, seven trumpets, two beasts, a dragon, war, bloodshed, fire, hell, and ultimately a new heaven and a new earth where Jesus is wiping away every tear of the eyes of those who have given him their allegiance. That's what's going to unfold in chapter 6 through 19. So join us in that in the next several weeks. But before history unfolds, John gets this initial vision. It's the vision we might say that is before all visions. It's the vision that rescues us from the chocolate coin. And he does this by bringing John into the throne room of heaven and showing us how utterly worthy the Lord of hosts is in contrast to every chocolate coin in the world. And he's going to do this in these two chapters in, in, in three images, okay? There's, there's three prominent images in these two chapters. We find a throne, we find a scroll, and we find a lamb. And so we're going to take a few minutes to walk through these three images. And, and with these three images, there is a correspondence to how we deem things worthy or of worth, Glory, strength, and authority. So it is the throne, a scroll, and a lamb. And in these, we discover how we deem things worthy. And the vision begins with this throne. And this is the initial way that oftentimes we ascribe worth to something, and we might call that glory. So in chapter 4, verse 3, and you can just track along with me here, we see there's an open door in verse 1. And then John sees a throne and one who is sitting on the throne. And here we begin to get a description of the one who's on the throne. He who sat had an appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of splendor and majesty, jewels 
I mean, the, the richness and the wealth around the one who is on the throne is the point John is trying to make, that God sits on a throne in majesty. And the one who sits on the throne is adorned with the greatest riches, greater riches than anything in this world. And then it goes on. There are things that are happening in and around this throne, verse 4, there's 24 other thrones, and there's 24 elders sitting on these, on these thrones, and they have white garments and they have thrones. This is God's heavenly court. Uh, John gets a glimpse of what Daniel saw in chapter 7 of Daniel. There's unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a lot of perspectives on who are these 24 elders, 12, uh, you know, the tribes of Judah and the apostles and things like that. We're not 100% sure, but we know that they are people, leaders here around the throne of God. And then there are things happening around the throne, not just people, but there's actually lightning and rumbles and a rainbow and peals of thunder around the throne, terrifying splendor. There's power being put on display here. Think Mount Sinus, chapter 19. And before the throne, there's seven torches of fire, the seven spirits of God, which uh, most commentators would say this represents the Holy Spirit. There's a sea of glass like crystal. This is the floor of heaven, as it were, calm in contrast to the chaos of the world. And around the throne here in verse 6 and 8, there are these four living creatures. There's a lion and an ox and a man and an eagle. If you ever have been to one of these beautiful historical churches, you see these pictures, uh, these images often depicted on the, on the murals. There's eyes in front and behind. There's six wings full of eyes. And day and night, they never cease. Holy, holy, holy. And whenever the living creatures give glory, verse 9 through 11, the elders fall down and worship him, and they cast their crowns, and they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, glory, honor, and power. What does the throne tell us? How does the throne tell us? Give us a picture of who God is. And we might use the word glory to describe it. Glory in his majesty. Glory in, his, in the riches and wealth around the throne. Glory in the splendor of the lightning. and One way to describe worth is if something is glorious if something is beautiful, if we determine we see something in our life, we see something in our world, we see something, some, some activity, some person, and we are enamored by them, what are we doing? We're giving them glory. We're saying this thing or this object or this person is utterly beautiful. But here in this passage, what we see with clarity is that the one who is on the throne is of utmost beauty and glory. We find in verse 11, they actually says, why is he worthy? Why is he worthy to receive glory and honor and power? He created all things, and by their will they existed and created. Do you know part of what John sees in this vision is this, that all of the lesser things of our lives that we would ascribe worth to, ascribe glory to, they all have a source. They all have an inception. They all have a beginning. 
And the beginning of all of those things, all of the good things, all of the lesser things, all the good things, all the things we disorder in our lives and, and, and get out of order in terms of worship, those things all find their inception in the creator of all things. And so this, this vision, God is creator, is chapter 1 and chapter 22 will say, God is the alpha. God is the first the first mover, as it were, the first one who initiated, the first one who created, and the first one who receives glory. The vision goes on, and it goes on into chapter 5, verse 1. So we first, in chapter 4, we get this scene of a throne room. But then in chapter 5, John notices something in the right hand of the one on the throne, a scroll a scroll, and, and the scroll might represent a second way that we tend to ascribe worth and value to things, and that might be with the word strength. So let's look at this, chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who, again here, is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Now, a scroll that's doubly inscribed would resemble a Roman will or a contract or a deed. And the contents would be in detail on the inside, and on the outside, it would be more a, a general summary of will or this deed. Uh, a will, and what do you do with wills? You enact a will. Um, you execute on a will. And this is a will, this scroll is a will that will be opened and will be executed on. As creator, the one who receives glory, he also holds power, he holds the strength to actually unfurl history, because that is what we're going to find in the coming chapters of Revelation, that, that the contents of this scroll are actually the conclusion to history. Now, there's a lot of different ways to interpret how that's all going to play out, but, but commentators and believers across this, this scroll represents what is to come. And it's in the right hand of the one on the throne the one who is the creator and the one who has the utter strength. He wrote the scroll, he sealed the scroll, he holds the scroll, and he has power over the scroll. The scroll is sealed in verse 2 with seven seals, and we find that no one is worthy to open it. In fact, no one in heaven there, all the elders, all the creatures, everybody who's there worshiping the one on the throne, not one, even a strong angel, John, it's too strong for him. The elders don't have the right. The elders don't have the strength. The creatures don't have the right. The creatures don't have the strength to unfurl history, to open the scroll as it were. No one mentioned so far has the authority to open the scroll. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth. Okay. This is the vision that John is getting of the one on the throne, the utter and absolute power that God has. 
The Lord has the power to unfurl history. He holds all of history in his hand. This is God as the completer, the omega, as Revelation 1.22 says. Worthy is the one who has power, who holds the scroll, who holds history. One of the ways that we ascribe worth to something is when we see something or someone that has a kind of power or has a kind of strength in our lives. And we want to run to that, don't we? Because we think if we can just get nestled under that thing or that person or that leader or that idea or that job or that project or that relationship, they will protect me. And so we start to ascribe our utmost worth to things. What is that for you this morning? I mean, if we go back to the first point, where are you ascribing worth because you perceive something to have glory? Where are you ascribing worth to something that you perceive has power or strength? I mean, that child sees that chocolate coin. (laughs) This thing is shiny. It looks really good. And I can imagine how it's going to taste. It has a kind of power in the child's life. But the vision goes on. First, a throne and then a scroll. And then the most unexpected thing happens in this vision. And Jed mentioned it earlier, and I just think it's worth appreciating what's going on here. Because all all that's in heaven up until this point is worship and song and glory and praise. And then there's a different sound that John, that we hear coming from John, he begins to weep loudly. Okay. This is another way of saying he is wailing. This third image, this third picture, in chapter 5, verses 4 through 10, John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Do you know what I think is happening with John here? I think, I think part of what's happening with John at this moment in the vision is the same thing that happened to Isaiah, if you remember, in Isaiah chapter 6 in the vision. Remember, he comes into the, thro- he comes into the same throne room of God. Okay, the vision is different. We get this from different prophets throughout the whole Scripture, but the whole Scripture speaks to this worship that's happening eternally that we're looking at this morning. And Isaiah gets into the presence of God, and he realizes that he is a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, he says. John weeps. John sees the scroll. It's unable to be opened by anybody. He realizes perhaps he himself isn't righteous enough or powerful enough or glorious enough to open this scroll, and he begins to weep desperately. Can, you, can we appreciate what John's seeing here? I mean, here is the scroll where history is going to be unfolded, where history is going gonna, is gonna to unfurl, as it were. And there's nobody who can open it. And John begins to weep bitterly. And it's at this moment in verse 5 that one of the elders comes along next to John. And you can almost imagine this elder coming off the throne and just putting his arm around John here. And he's like, my friend, my child, weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, John is throwing, or or the elder is throwing John back into the Old Testament to a king, David, who had authority, to a lion, an authority creature, all, all linking us back to the Old Testament. He's saying, there is a lion in heaven There is one who has authority to open the scroll. And that's a third correspondence. Sometimes the things that we put our greatest worth into are the things that we think and give ultimate authority in our lives. And just like power and just like glory, we tend to give ourselves to things where we think or or we, we believe that those things have a kind of authority in our lives. They they are authorized to make decisions for us. And in some ways it's easier, isn't it? We don't have to make decisions for ourselves. Buried under somebody else's strength, buried under somebody's that will give me a sense of immediate relief. I don't want to face the persecution. I don't want to face suffering. I don't want to have hardship. Let me just give my worth to something else or someone else. And here in heaven, the elder says to John, weep no more. There's a lion. And his conquering gives him authority to open the seal. And, and, and you can imagine John in this moment, tear-flooded eyes, looks up, and he's looking for a creature of great strength, is he not? He's looking, at a, a, he's looking for a creature that, that might be perceived as one great authority and great power, fierce, a, an animal predator, a lion itself. And he's scanning the throne room for this lion and then between, and I love how specific the vision is. It's, it's just so, <laughs> this stuff can't be made up. Between the throne and the four creatures and among the elders, you almost feel like John's like looking, scanning the throne room of heaven and looking through and peers, peers, peeks through and through his tear-filled eyes, he sees the most unexpected thing in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He sees the opposite of a lion. He sees the opposite of a creature in the eyes of the world of power and strength and authority. He sees this lamb, and it's not just a lamb as an innocent, kind of dumb, as it were, creature, simple creature, but it's actually a lamb that is slain. The creature has been slaughtered. And then this creature approaches the throne in verse 7, and he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who's on the throne. And the moment that this happens, what happens in verse 7? When he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And they sang a new song. This moment, a new song breaks forth in heaven. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall live on the earth and reign forever. What do we make of this? 
We are so susceptible to temptation. We'll vie for authority in your life. It will. I love it. The throne room. Every chocolate coin in your life will vie for authority, will it not? It will ask for your total obedience. That chocolate coin put in the hand of a child, that child will not be able to resist it. It has too much power, it has too much glory, and it has too much authority for that child to resist. And yet, the child will choose it every time. And we are susceptible to this. But Jesus received authority in a different way, didn't he? The authority that Jesus received from the Father was by laying his life down, by being slain in love, and he did what no one else could do. He gave his life as a ransom for all the ways that we choose the chocolate coin over the most glorious coin, God himself. Jesus' death on the cross was such a final conquering blow to Satan and his agenda in the world that it literally gave him authority to open the seals and unfurl all of history. And this is Christ who is our Redeemer. He's the one who has authority and authorizations to open the seals and the scroll, and he is the one who is worthy, the slain lamb who has authority to redeem humanity. And so the question that this leaves us with this morning are what are the chocolate coins in your life? And can we just have a real talk here? Because many of us know, theologically, we know the coin that is made of pure gold. We know its worth with our head, but our flat appetites are going after the gold coin, or the, the chocolate coin. And we do it over and over again, don't we? I do it all the time in my own life. I know I get the picture of the throne room of heaven, and I see God lifted high, and yet I will choose the lesser coin. I will choose the thing that has lesser value in comparison to the one of greatest value. Some of us do this by seeking pleasure, and some of us do this by seeking control. Some of us do this in our pride, and some of us do this in false humility. I know it's in your heart after. There's many things that our eyes will gaze upon. There are many things that we are ascribing ultimate worth to, but the vision we want to walk away from this morning is this throne room. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would inhabit this space together. That the things that our eyes gaze upon and the things that our hearts go after, we would see with clarity they pale in comparison to the Lord of hosts, to the God of all glory, to the King of kings, to the one who was slain, to the one who has all glory and all, and all authority. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are 
things in our lives we don't want to let go of. We've ascribed our utmost worth to them, and we're going after them, and they consume us, and they distract us. And at the core of what they are is sin, Lord. It's us giving our worship to something other than you, choosing the chocolate coin, neglecting the gold coin that is you. And we're asking this morning, I'm asking, Lord, that your spirit would lift our eyes to see how great you are, how glorious you are, how powerful you are, the authority that you have. And Lord, we repent. We turn, Lord. I turn from all the ways. Lord, that I worship things other than you. Would you shape us as a people? Lord, would you let us inhabit and live in this vision of heaven? That when we wake up in the morning, that would be the first thing that we imagine, the first thing that we think of, the first thing that we read, the first thing that we dwell on would be you in all your glory and how great you are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week as we gather, we come to the table.